Now introducing Mr. Kawada himself, my dad. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, this is Quantum of History. I'm your host, Donnie Waldron. Welcome into another episode. Today is episode 32. We're going to be mixing a topic that you see in Tomorrow Never Dies, Quantum of Solace, Skyfall. You, you kind of see it. It's in the books. It's about a rigging foreign elections and times that the CIA and the SIS and MI6 have rigged elections or at least manipulated them. You see it a lot in the news today even. Uh, it started all the way and today's the topic will be the 1948 Italy election in which the CIA and SIS had a big part in uh, influencing uh, Italy's election. It was the first election after Mussolini and it was they were either going to go, it was a very simple thing or they were going to go communist or they were not. Or they were going to go to democratic. So uh, they had a huge plan in it, and you kind of see that it kind of laid the groundwork for a lot of what you see today. And you see it, like I said, you even see it today. It's always in the news, and that was a big hot button topic for a lot of the election. And it's a big thing. Again, James Bond, that's that's the world that he was built for, right? He comes out of the Cold War. He's a Cold War hero. That's the realm in which James Bond was made for. He was made to do things like influence foreign elections, influence high-end oligarchies, things like this. These are the things, this is the upper echelon in which James Bond thrives in, blends in, and it's where he belongs. So I'm really excited to do this topic. It's going to be a lot of fun. Again, we're going to do it on the podcast. Thank you guys. The guys who are my podcast listeners, I always, you guys are so consistent. Uh, My numbers keep growing on the podcast, but it's, it it always keeps growing and never dips down. The YouTube is, who knows? (laughs) Who knows who actually watches that one? But my podcast listeners, you guys are always so consistent. Uh, week in and out, week in, week out, and I can't thank you guys enough. I, I love you guys so much. And if you guys are following the Bond Girl Bracket, hashtag Bond Girl Bracket on my Instagram, it's been a lot of fun doing this. Uh, week two is coming up. A lot of big ones, Domino Mayday, uh, Electric King, Vesper Lynn, there's some Tatiana, uh, Natalia Simonova. there's some big hitters coming in. So if you're not following them on Instagram, you guys really need to get on there. And, uh, you know, congratulations to the guys who have had a perfect practice so far. It's only going to get more intense as we go on. So it's been a lot of fun. And keep watching, and, and I'll be posting those on uh, YouTube as well. So check those out as they come out. So without further ado, let's get right into episode 32, the times when the, the 1948 Italy election and the manipulation between the CIA, the, uh, the SIS, and the MI6. The era in which James Bond was born was from an era of putting the world back together. World War I and World War II had decimated Europe, and the superpowers that came out on top were trying to mold the world in the way that they envisioned it. The way this was accomplished was the cultivation of scientists, professors, manufacturing techniques, tradecraft, dark agents, and regime manipulation. The regime manipulation is one that James Bond has particularly been keen to. James Bond's talents are better reserved for working in the upper echelon of the aristocracies of the world. His ability to blend in, to get them to trust him, and to manipulate them for the make for the best stories. It is in this realm where true world-changing work can be done. While James Bond may be fictional, the work done by the people who inspired the creation of Bond's character was very real. Post-World War II, the world was rushing to put the pieces back. The United States and the Soviet Union had opposing paradigms and both feared the other would proselytize their beliefs and take the rest of the world for their own. In order to accomplish this, there needed to be a clandestine organizations to carry out these missions. The Soviet Union started the foundation for these organizations around the mid-1910s. Vladimir Lenin was renowned for his paranoia. 
Lenin came to power by routing out his enemies in his own party. As leader of the Bolsheviks, he led a coup of the Romanov dynasty and created the world's first communist state. He did so by obtaining and acting on information he gathered from the people within his party and his opposition. Once he was in power, he carried with him the same modus operandi. This was the building block for what would become the KGB and the armies grew. The United States was, on the other hand, had to play catch-up to the KGB in the 1940s. In 1941, President Franklin Roosevelt was fed up with the type and lack of intelligence he was receiving as World War II progressed. In response, along with General William Wild Bill Donovan, they created the Office of the Coordinator of Information. General Donovan convinced President Roosevelt that the office needed to have more resources, more people, and a new focus of importance. In 1942, the Office of Strategic Services was created. At one time, it employed 13,000 people, 35% of whom were women. At the end of the war, the OSS was disbanded and sex were turned into the Strategic Services Unit, which then was the Central Intelligence Group. Finally, in 1947, the National Security Act of 1947 was passed and the Central Intelligence Agency, or the CIA, was formed. With the CIA in its infancy, and the KGB years ahead, the CIA had to be quick learners. In 1948, Italy was to have their first election since Mussolini's March on Rome in 1922. Italy had joined Germany and the Axis powers as Mussolini had turned Italy fascist. This had laid the groundwork for Italy to join the Soviets as a communist nation. The election came down to two clear choices for Italy. Either vote for Alcide Gasperi of the Christian Democrats or Palmiro Toglari and Pietro Neni's Democratic Front, which was the Communist Party of Italy. At the time, the Communist Party in Italy was considered the bigger party, and outside of the Soviet Union was the largest and most influential in the world. As the election grew nearer, the CIA and SIS began working together to make a plan to ensure the Communists didn't win in Italy. There was a conference in London in 1948 where the heads of the CIA and SIS discussed a bevy of topics from nations on the brink, to what to do about the Soviet war, if it ever broke out again, and how to make Italy democratic. The goal was to make Italy democratic through the ballot box and not through an army. At this time, the dangers of the world were still very real, but the wars had drained nations of their resolve and their resources. The belief was that the win in Italy in and of itself would be devastating, but the implications of the propaganda bump that the communists would get in seeing them choose communists and rather than be forced into it would be enormous. Europe was in tatters, countries were on the brink, and in this turmoil, a gust of proverbial paradigm wind could lead nations to fall. A loss the world couldn't withstand at the time. The Truman administration was overt in interference in the election. Everything was deployed in Italy to sway the election. The U.S. used propaganda, advertisements, psychological causes, and they made the slogan, O conquisto o contra Cristo, which means either with Christ or against Christ black propaganda, using trade unions, bribes, suitcases of money being exchanged with influential heads of organizations, and even asking Frank Sinatra and Joe DiMaggio to do radio broadcasts. In the United States, people were urged to write their families in Italy about the dangers of communism and the Communist Party. The British were more subtle, but still heavily involved in the planning and implementation of the election manipulation at the time. The British affected food supplies and supported an Italian favoring border change. The British also spent a lot of time and resources into labor unions and the heads in order to sway them to the Democratic Party. 
and the film industry at the time had become a political medium to win over the public. In Italy, at the time, film and movies were the favorite pastime of the people. Movies were made to help proselytize anti-communist sentiment. Giulio Andriodetti, who was the minister of cinema, used tax dollars to fund pro-democracy funds. Ninotska, a film starring Greta Garbo with heavy anti-communist sentiments, was played in almost every Italian theater. It was a full-on onslaught of propaganda machine to work to defeat the communists. On the other side, the communists in the Soviet Union relied on older forms of information dissemination. These included rallies, speeches, and printed press. Their slogans and messages relied on complicated analytics and thought rather than the catchy phrases that, like the aforementioned, either with Christ or against Christ. I mean, that's a pretty easy... I mean, you see, sometimes you just have to dumb it down to uh, to slogans, right? Bumper, uh, we used to be called bumper sticker mentality, now it's Twitter fingers. Either way, you have to have the, the slogan to get behind. And the comments at the time had more well-thought-out analytic responses rather than the Democrat Party who just had a slogan. You're either, you're either with Christ or against Christ. And that's, I mean, I, it's pretty hard to... Uh, a vote against a, fo- a vote for communists is a vote against Christ. That's a pretty good slogan to use in a, in Italy at the time. So by the time the communists realized what an impact the new medium of film was having on people, it was already too late for them to start making their own films. Stalin also had disdain for Italy at this time. He went against many Italian attempts at rehabilitation, including voting against Italy's inclusion into the United Nations. By the time the election came about, the narrative that was being promulgated throughout Italy was that the communists were offering a harsh and bleak bill of sale, while Western philosophy was one of hope and one of God. This was in part due to the brilliance of the British and American manipulation of the culture mediums at the time. This same theme has continued today. As mediums change, the side that utilizes it in the best manner wins. Facebook and Twitter have become social media monopolies and have become the new medium in which information is shared. The CIA, FBI, SIS, NSA, and other, almost every other investigative agency across the world is now weaponizing these platforms for a myriad of reasons, one being election manipulation. Traditional mediums such as television news networks have lost their sphere of influence due to podcasts, social media, YouTube, and numerous other mediums uh, for the flow of information. As such, the world is adapting to better use these mediums, much in the same way that was done in 1948. Hollywood has long been a de facto political propaganda machine, and you can see it in the types of movies that come out. Uh, when politics of the day are the hashtag MeToo movement, Hollywood cranks out a bunch of action movies with female leads. When the, politicos, when the politics of the day are racism, Hollywood quickly cranks out movies based on this theme. Musicians of much of the entertainment industry are the same. Around the election every four years, musicians and films are used in much the same way they were in 1948. Ultimately, the Christian Democrats won in a 48-31% to 31% election margin victory of the PCI communists. From then on, Italy voted for the Christian Democrats for 48 more years. The CIA estimates that between 10 and $20 million was poured into Italy at this time. And today's money would be about $200 million that was funded to keep Italy free of communism. The Soviet Union poured millions of dollars themselves, um, but they, were, they could not match the onslaught of currency that was dumped into Italy by the former Allied forces. In a fortunate turn of events, communism lost again, a theme that would continue throughout the rest of the 20th century. And the lessons learned was a crash course in manipulation of people through media uh, from information that is used you know, today in different forms. Again, I always, what I always love doing about this stuff is history always repeats itself. You see the same tactics being used today. Uh, 
you see, you know, in 2012, it was, it was a very Facebook centric election again. And you see it again in 16 and 20. Like it, it, it always changes. And again, you see it in a lot of things. And the government knows the lessons that were learned. In, again, the CIA was in its infancy. It was barely really created. And it very quickly became a quick study on, on how to manipulate mass public things. And you're seeing it a lot of the times with, you're seeing it now even like um, COVID. If you're looking at the COVID stri- restrictions and COVID and how they see it, I can't tell you how many radio ads and, and TV ads you see um, advertising the COVID vaccine. Now you've seen the COVID pax- passport vaccine. And again, you see, again, you see that Russia was in the election. Thing like the History always repeats itself. It's what I always love about doing this. And it's, you know, it's, it's the world in which James Bond belongs in, right? This is the world. This is government and world manipulation. This is the things that is so interesting to me. I don't know why this is like my most fascinating topic, but I really do think that it's in, when you see the elites, again, the aristocracies, the oligarchies that really have the upper echelon sphere of influence, this is the stuff that's so interesting for me um, to research and to talk about. And again, I, you see a lot, you see a lot of parallels between what's going on with COVID, with different the way that they advertise things. I, I can't tell you how many, again, I, I see, I hear radio ads that say this is the worst thing that humanity has faced since World War II. Well, believe it or not, that's, I mean, this is how the government is advertising it. And I think you kind of see it in a lot of things. And, and I kind of see how government does it, but this is why I have kind of two different ideas about these COVID restrictions and COVID, even the vaccine passport, which I, I have my own thoughts on it, and I'll tell you. I just I'll explain it by using a metaphor, right? So let's say there's a guy who goes in and goes into a daycare and murders a bunch of children, right? He does it. He's on camera. He comes out and admits this: "says I hate I hate kids, um, hate them, hate kids, and if I'm let out, I'm gonna kill more kids." Most people would say that guy deserves to die, right? I mean, he he deserves it, right? My argument would be that there's never been such a perfect and pure system. There's never been such a, a, a higher um, governmental system that I believe in so much that I would let the death penalty be a thing. Because, again, you're, you're giving domain over your body, over your life, to a government, to a organized thing. And if you're going to allow some, a government to kill other people, Understand what you're you're allowing. I mean, does this guy person? It's like we see in Batman and Joker, right? Batman is always um, fighting the Joker, and the, you're watching the movie. You're like, just just end it, just just kill Joker already. This would be over. This could be, we could have been done this in 1990. Um, but he doesn't, because he's got his own moral compass and he's got his own principles. And whether or not he deserves to is not the question. Is that can you? And I'll do this other example to harken back to like the COVID passport and other things. It's like you ever seen the movies where there's two good guys, right? And they have the hand, the the bad guy's handcuffed. He's captured. They're dragging they're dragging him back, and they need to bring him back to base or wherever they need to bring him, right? Um, and then the, the, they fight. They all of a sudden are onto another adversary, and they're like, "Oh my God, we're 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 fighting this adversary. We could really use your help." And the and the guy. And the, the bad guy is handcuffed. He's like, just let me out. I pro- I'm going to help you. Just pro- just let me out, and I'll help you. And there are two conflicting arguments, and it makes for good drama, is that one side is saying, no, if we just we stick to it, we're, we're good. 
we're going to beat this thing. We don't need to have drastic members like letting the bad guy out. And then the other person is like, if we don't let him out and he doesn't help us, we're all going to die. And you see this a lot of times in movies. And this is how I feel that has come with these COVID restrictions and, and COVID passports and all these other things that are coming up is that there's one camp that says, look, the bad guy in this case is government not letting you out of the house. I mean, you can't leave your home. There are restrictions that say you can't sing. There are restrictions that say you can't have this many people at a table, mask. You can go to jail. You can Your businesses are shut down. Your whole livelihood that you've worked for your entire life is taken away from you. Those That's the bad guy, right? Those, those are the freedoms. Because understand, humanity didn't have... It's been thousands of years before humanity got to the point where we have autonomy or we have freedom of choice and all this stuff. This is, a, in the scope of humanity, this is a relatively new thing that we have. We have a lot of power as individuals. And we earned that from a lot of hard work that wasn't given to us. We're just reaping the benefits for the work that other people did so that we could have them today. And what people are saying is that this thing, this this COVID is so bad and it, it's such a barrier for humanity that we need to uncuff him so he can f- he can fight with us. And that's what it is. Are you, un- are you willing to give up domain over your person, over your property, over, over all that stuff, over your business, over everything? Is the adversary that we're facing so big that you're willing to let it out? The idea of it is um, it is people trying to do good, right? COVID packs, passport and all this stuff, there are people trying to do good, right? They're trying to protect people and, and do this all this stuff. But it's kind of like Jurassic Park, and I keep using all these analogies, but you spent so much time thinking if you could do it, you forgot to think if you should do it. And it harkens back to this, my metaphor, too, is, yeah, the person deserves to die, but do I think that there's a, a, a institution that I believe in so wholeheartedly that I give domain over my life to them because they're so perfect? No, I don't, and I never will. And that's the same thing with the all these other things that have gone with COVID. I mean, you look at the the difference. You know, you you can't you can't sit at a table four deep at Thanksgiving, but you can go millions of people in the street and go march and protest. And it's the same. This is the same. You you can't tell me that that's you can't tell me that that's a, on a principle based philosophy. And that was that was my whole point is if you're going to be willing and I always use this in analogy too is that um, in 2000 around the 2005 when the Iraq war was going I was first in college and, and this thing always stuck with me because it's it teaches you how to it taught me and it may ta- help you too but it, it really helped me critical think about issues and it really had an epiphany for me and one of the professors said that um, ask people I do a survey and say are you for or against the war yeah I'm for the war yeah, go America. Okay, now ask that same question. Are you for or against sending your son or daughter to die in the desert? Are you willing to, to give your son to go send over there to die in the desert or your daughter to die in the desert? Well, no, I, I don't want my daughter to die or my son to die. Well, understand that when you choose a side, there are implications and there are repercussions for whatever side you pick. So if you're a person that says, yes, I'm for war, okay, have you thought about what that implication of saying yes I'm for that action is is actually and if you're the person that says this is such a worthwhile cause I am it is worth my son or daughter going and dying over in a foreign land it is such a just cause 
then I'm okay with that. If you say yes and have thought about that, absolutely. I respect your opinion. That's your opinion, and, and, and that's what it is. But if you're just not thinking about the repercussions um, of what your yes is or what, yeah, it's okay, whatever. It's not going to really affect me. If you're okay with if you haven't thought about that, then you need to think about that and then come back with your with your opinion of it. And that's how I feel about these COVID restrictions and COVID passports and all that stuff is that um, I understand that they're done with good intentions, um, but the road to hell is always paved with good intentions, right? And I just, it's one thing to say, are you for or against a passport? Again, are you for or against losing more autonomy over your body? And again, is this such a perfect, flawless system that I believe that there's no wiggle room for anything? No, don't. When you make things set in stone, you need a passport to go somewhere. You, you have more further restricting your travel, all this other stuff. Unless you get it, it's again one step away from, all right, everybody has to get this. Everybody has to get stuck in the arm. Okay, is it such a flawless system that your implementation and your vaccine is so good that, that it's worth that? That's where I land. And I'm very much a freedom of choice person. I'm very much a freedom of thought, thinking, and going from there. So, and again, if, and if, if you're in a camp that is, says that COVID is, the, um, is such a, a giant issue that you need to, um, I'm, I can respect that. If you truly think that um, humanity is in jeopardy and there's going to be, you know, humanity is really in jeopardy and we need to let the bad guy out, which is, I'll take, take all my freedoms so that we can beat this together. If you've thought about that and you are completely willing for that, I can respect that. That's your point. That's your point of view. As long as you critically thought about it, can articulate it, and really have truly dived into what you think about, and that's your viewpoint, I can respect that. But again, don't just say, are you for or against the war, yes or no. No, no. Understand the full implications of allowing or accepting decisions that are made for you. This has been Donnie Waldron. This has been Quantum of History. Um, you know, I'll let little man tell you what you're supposed, what you need to be doing. But as always, guys, stay positive out there. Thank you guys so much. I'll be talking to you soon.